Okay, so this morning we're going to be carrying on in our series. And if you don't know where we are, what we're doing, we are um, on the series of following God into the neighborhood. So if you were here last week, you would have heard Mike kind of give us a bit of an overview of kind of what we're looking at in this coming um, series. If you weren't here last week, I'd really recommend that you go back online, check out the talk. It's a perfect kind of setup for for what is to come over the next couple of weeks. And... um, we're going to be spending a little bit of time this morning looking at kind of what the kingdom of God looks like and what does it look like through the eyes of reconciliation. And we're going to be doing that um, through TED Talks. If you were here last month, we had um, three speakers doing seven minutes each. Um, we've heard such positive feedback from that that we want to keep doing that and we're going to do that as much as we can and give some of the guys in our church opportunities to preach and to learn their, their craft, if you like, in front of you guys. So be kind, be supportive. We've all been there, um, and we're going to hear from three amazing people that are going to share kind of their perspective on, on reconciliation and kind of what God's um, spoken to them about through that. So why don't we welcome up our first victim, I mean preacher, um, I can say that to this person because I know him well, Luke, Lon, come on down. So I, I had the pleasure of listening to this on Friday. You're going to be in for a treat. If, you, if he's changed it, you might not be. But if he's kept it the same, it's going to be good. Okay? No pressure. I'm going to pray for you, then we'll, then we'll carry on. So, Father, I just thank you for Luke. I just pray you bless him now as he shares uh, your word with us this morning. Just pray your peace would come upon him and that he would know that you are with him as he speaks to us now. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, your, your stopwatch is up there. Okay? Do you get to seven minutes for us? Wonderful. Your time starts now. Oh, goodness. I'll try my best. Good morning, everyone. How are we? Wonderful. Right. Okay, as Pete said, my name is Luke. I'm 20 years old, and I study theology at the University of Sheffield. So one of the most common questions that I get asked is, how do you balance your faith with theological studies at a secular university? And the honest answer is that I have absolutely no idea. Everything I'm told to read, everything that I'm told to consume is in some way competent to my faith. But if anything, that angers me. But at the same time, it makes me more intent to seek the truth in God's word and to really understand it. So we look at this idea of reconciliation. What does that mean in the context of our lives? Well, I want to take you right back, all the way back to the start. Picture for a moment that you are stood at the gates of Canaan, the promised land. You're hot, you're dehydrated, you've navigated the wilderness for 40 years, and Moses has been annoyingly holy. And now... For the entirety of the book of Deuteronomy, and I mean the entirety, he decides to talk, to literally lecture at you for flipping ages. Begrudgingly, you listen. You listen to him talk about the covenant between each individual and God. He tells you that if you were to be banished to the furthest, darkest corners of the earth, God will return you. He will return you back to him. He will restore your fortunes and he will reconcile with you. All for the meager price of following his covenant. 
For just as those Israelites were God's chosen people, so are all of we, us, we, us. (laughs) God's covenant never changes. His promises remain the same. They remain the same regardless of your actions, regardless of their scale or of their volume. And I love the simplicity that Moses puts on it. He literally says, look, Israelites, stop your silliness. Stop your selfishness. Stop your sinning. And I've got you. Then bang, we get Jesus. That's the part that should really stir you with excitement. At the core of our reconciliation is his crucifixion. And I think we're so used to hearing that narrative that we don't properly take the time to visualize it, let alone empathize with it. Medically speaking, if you read about what happens during, during a crucifixion, it is horrendous. On the very base level, what the body goes through to breathe in just once is nothing short of excruciating pain. As humans, we can all attempt to, em- to empathize with those emotions. When you imagine with your own experience of physical pain, it gives a chilling reality. Someone died for you. No matter how many times you turn your face, you sin, nothing can ever change the fact that he died for you. And you're sat here because you've done the best thing and you've accepted him in. But I'm not good enough. But I've sinned too much. But I'm stuck in a rut and I can't get out. I will tell you for absolutely nothing that those are big, fat lies. Run it through your head over and over again. Nothing you ever do will prevent you from reconciling with him. Nothing you ever do will prevent you from reconciling with him. Nothing you ever do will prevent you from reconciling with him. We are all jars of clay. Inside that jar is Jesus. And if that jar breaks, what comes out? J-E-S-U-S. So that's the Great Commission. You've got God in you. Rejoice in that fact. Revel in that truth. When we tell others about him, lead with your brokenness. Lead with your brokenness. It is so relatable Everyone wants to be free from brokenness. So aren't we so blessed that we're in the knowledge of how to be free? I urge you, do not be selfish with that knowledge. If someone shows you love, let alone dies for you, your response is not rejection. You don't work against it. Don't be of the attitude that sin is workable just because you are forgiven. Be selfless and make the truth known. When I was 15 years old, my youth worker at my home church passed away. She was only 23. At that age, I didn't know what the correct response was. What was the right way to act? Out of the struggle, my best friend had a vision for a Christian website for teenagers. And as is the nature of social media, we built up a sizable profile. And soon, I was speaking at some crazy big conferences with global evangelists. And I'm just standing there thinking, what on earth am I doing here? When I was 16, 
through the website, I was contacted by someone high up in the church, someone well-known in the media. He told me a lot of things about how special I was and how I was going to change the world. Being young and being impressionable, I not only let it fuel my ego, but I also believed every single word. Then one Sunday, I was pulled aside by someone at my home church and told all about this person's history of contacting young boys, inviting them to talk with him, sharing hotel rooms, and all that kind of thing. That absolutely broke me. It all felt like a lie, like I could never and would never amount to anything. It really hit my confidence badly, and it's something that I'm still dealing with today. I had built an identity around the draws of being known and having adulation. And when crisis hit, I didn't know or believe in the truths that I had started with. And this is the first time that I've preached since then. God reconciled with me in ways that you would not believe. He baffles me every single day and sometimes I just find myself standing there going, how the flip did you do that? And I remember, he's in control. His covenant never changes and each time I have turned away, he has let me run straight back to him every single time. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 that God doesn't count our sins against us. So you shouldn't count them against yourself either. So, in response, I'd like you to consider what is your attitude to sin? And how can you use that to help others be reconciled with him? Thank you. I told you it'd be good. That was amazing. Thanks, Luke. Okay, what we're going to do is we're going to take a minute now just to reflect on that. Write anything down that kind of stands out to you. Anything that you feel like God may be speaking to you about it. And we're going to have a bit longer at the end to respond to it. There'll be the, everyone's kind of bullet points of their kind of main uh, responses at the end as well. So don't feel you know, like have to try and remember everything. But if there's anything in particular that you feel like God's staring right now or anything that you feel challenged by, I'd really encourage you to write it down in this next minute before we invite the next person up. So let's take that minute now and then I will get the next person up. Okay, our next speaker is Rachel Nunn. Let's give her a round of applause. Mm, PowerPoint slides, impressive. (laughs) Anyway, that's good. Um, I'm going to pray for you quickly and then we'll let you have the microphone. So Father, we thank you for Rachel. Just pray you put in her um, a real joy for what it is that you've given her to speak about this morning. I just pray for your peace, your clarity and your wisdom to flow through her right now. In your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Over to you. Thank you. Hi, everyone. I am here because I am loved. And you are really, really loved too. And um, Jesus said, well, God said, that he has reconciled the whole world to him through Jesus' death. That means nothing can get in the way. Nothing can get in the way from God's perspective of being with us. But he's good and he loves us and he says we have a choice. 
So I'm going to tell you a story. This is a children's story, so bear with me. You might have heard it before, and I haven't got time to read it, so I'm just going to tell it really briefly. But it's called I Am Special, and it's by Max Lucado, and I feel like it summarises my life, so I want to share it with you. Have we got the first slide? Oh, yes. Brilliant. Oh, we're back. So here we can see the village of um, a wooden people. They are... um, they were created by a master craftsman who lives up there on that hill in that house. And they live in their little village and they go about doing their things. Now, there's a guy called Punchinello. Oh, I've gone the wrong way with my slides. Oh, yep, there he is. Yeah, so Punchinello, um, he is a really good guy. and um, But he finds it really hard because the Wemmicks, what they like to do is they like to go around giving each other stars or spots. Now, if you do something brilliant, you get a star. If you look beautiful, you get a star. If you're really clever, you get a star. But if you fail, you get a spot. If you're not that good looking, you get a spot. If your paint gets scratched, you get a spot. Um, so they go around giving each other spots. And here you can see Punchinello gets lots of spots. Now, Punchinello doesn't want to go out anymore because people have started giving him spots because he's got lots of spots. Um, and life is quite tricky for him, and he's feeling a bit miserable. And then one day he comes across this Wemmick, this beautiful Wemmick, and look, she's got no stars or spots. And he's absolutely amazed. He's flabbergasted. This woman is incredible. So he goes out with his star ready to give her the star, and he puts it on her, and it just falls off. It doesn't stick. It can't stick to her. And Punchinello is totally amazed that this star does not stick. And he says, why doesn't the star stick to you? And she says, because I go and see the carpenter, my creator, our creator, Eli, every day. And he tells me truth. Why don't you go and see him, Punchinello? So Punchinello thinks about it. And then he decides he's going to go. He walks up the hill. And he, he pushes the door open and he gets inside. And oh my word, it's massive. And he is terrified and he's thinking about pegging it when Eli, the craftsman, says, Come here, Punchinello. And Punchinello can't believe it. Eli even knows his name. And he picks him up and he puts him on his workbench and he says, um, he, sa- <laughs> he says, You've got a lot of dots. And Punchinello says, Yeah, I'm really sorry. I'm just not very good. And God says, why do you care what those other Wemmicks think? They are just Wemmicks like you. Do you know what? I made you, and I think you are incredibly special. And I made you, and you are mine. And Punchinello goes, why does Lucia not have any spots or stars? Why do the stickers, why do they fall off? And and Eli says to her, because she has chosen to believe what I say about her is more important than what the Wemmicks say. She has chosen that. She's made that choice. And so they can't stick. They can't stick. And um, Punchinello is amazed. And he, um, the, Eli sets him down. He says, why don't you come and see me again? And Punchinello thinks, yes. And as he walks out the door, he thinks, 
maybe, maybe there's some truth in what Eli's saying, and a dot falls to the ground. So, that's the end of my little story. I feel like that represents my life. I came to Sheffield as a student. I wasn't a Christian, and I was depressed. I thought I was pretty worthless, and I hated myself a lot. And I hate myself even more because I couldn't do anything about it. I was too much of a coward because I was a burden to the world. And um, in my own mind and in my own head. And then I had these awesome friends that were a bit crackers, but they were full of joy and hope. And they were called Christians, and they invited me to church. And there I met God. Not in like a really powerful way, but I heard about him. And, and I knew about him a bit more. And he, and once there was this call, and it says, if you want to be a common Christian, come to the front. And, and I was like, well, I don't know. Like, I've got nothing to lose, so I might as well go for it. So I went to the front, and I got prayed, and, and I became a Christian. And do you know what? Nothing amazing happened in that moment. But over the space of a year, God really spoke to me. And for a year, he would say Isaiah 43 over me time and time again. He said, you are loved and you are mine. And that sunk deep into my heart. And I would say, I've been a Christian now for maybe 15 years. And over the time, over the time, I've chosen to reconcile myself more and more with God. I've chosen to go more and more to his house and sit with him. I've chosen to read his word. And I have grown I've grown into this place where the spots are falling off me. I feel much more like Lucia. I'm able to see myself with the eyes of Christ. I can see myself how Jesus sees me, and therefore I can stand here and talk to you. Because I am loved. I am so loved, and so are you. And so what I'd say to you this morning, if you are like Punchinella, you didn't know that the father's just around the corner, that he's moved into the neighborhood, go and check him out. He's awesome. He'll change your life. Um, You might be feeling quite spotty still. Like there might be areas of your life that still need healing. Go to the father. He wants to tell you his truth because his truth will set you free. Or you might be Lucia. You might be, you've got the eyes of Christ You're living in that place where, um, like, you can see what heaven's about. Like Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. And if you are in that place, ask God, what are you doing? And get involved. Because he's got really good things. And he really wants to bless us all. Thank you. That was brilliant. Well, look, why don't we take 30 seconds to a minute, same thing, think about anything that kind of stood out to you, start writing it down, just so you don't forget it, and then we'll spend a little bit of time later responding to it. So let's have 30 seconds to a minute now to do that. Okay, we're going to have our final speaker, Mr. Mike Sims. Let's give him a round of applause. (laughs) Wonderful. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you for Mike. We just pray you bless him now as he shares his heart with us. Just pray you fill him with your peace, your Holy Spirit. And that his words that he will speak out of his mouth will come directly from your heart. In your name we pray. Amen. Over to you. Thanks. Um, it's a bit weird being down here. If anyone knows who I am, uh, if you don't know who I am, I'm Mike. I'm normally stood not there at the front leading worship. So if I ever get stuck or anything, I can, all, I can normally just lead you all in a rousing chorus of amazing grace until I remember where I'm at. 
but I can't really do that right now. Um, so I'll just have to remember what I'm saying. Or just sing. You never know. Um, so, yeah, we're talking about reconciliation. Um, uh, when I started thinking about that, I had no idea where to start because my way of thinking about reconciliation is always something really, really big. Um, that reconciliation is a word that's, res- that's kind of reserved for things like global crises or, or crises uh, or like political rivalries, these big, big issues that need something to come in there and bring them all back together. Um, and I was like, I do not have any stories like that for my life. I'm very fortunate in that, that nothing particularly major has had to happen that's caused this. I was like, I do not know where I'm going to go. Um, and also, um, I work at Tapton School, and um, we're, last week we were in the middle of doing our, um, our annual school play, which was Romeo and Juliet, which is this huge, big feud where this big event comes in that brings these two families together at the end. Sorry, spoiler alert. Um, and so I was like, I do not know what I'm going to talk about. Um, so I went to the second best book to go to when you're struggling, and that's the dictionary, um, and looked at what reconciliation means to see if that would help. Um, and the definition for that was uh, the restoration of friendly relations, which made it a lot easier because I can think of countless times when I need restoration for friendly relations. Um, so uh, also we... Um, which mentioned the Colossians 1 verse 20 verse, where it talks about um, through him to reconcile all things, whether on earth or, or things in heaven, making peace uh, through his blood shed on the cross. And so when it's, I remember that, um, that definition of uh, rest, uh, the restoration of friendly relations and then read in Colossians where it says about all things, um, that helped me to then think of all these small times during the day where reconciliation is required in my life. And I need to build these, uh, to fix the rift in these friendly relations. Because um, these little things, they happen every day between me and friends, uh, between me and strangers, when I'm driving. Happens frequently. <laughs> I've not been driving long, so that's not a good sign. Um, uh, yeah, between uh, me and my wife, we have arguments. That's just what happens. So... <laughs> It's just real. Um, And, uh, yeah, between me and myself, I am my biggest critic. At the end of this, I'll probably go sit in a corner and cry for about five minutes, being like, I should have said this. I didn't say that. Um, (laughs) So I'll need to go and do some personal reconciliation at the end of this. Um, (laughs) And then between me and God as well, um, because I'm not perfect. He is. There's a clash. Um, so yeah, these little moments of hurt and anger or disappointment or frustration um, can cause a break in these friendly relations every day. Um, so therefore, for me, I, th- I was thinking, if it's a daily occurrence that these things happen, then, um, then reconciliation needs to become a daily practice. Um, that my thoughts about reconciliation need to be more of a life mentality than a life event. Um, Ephesians 4 verse 26 says, Do not let the sun go down while you are angry. Um, which was a great piece of advice that someone gave to me just before I got married. Um, Because, like I say, I can be fairly difficult to live with, I'll be honest. So making sure that we settle any disputes, any arguments or something before we go to bed is always always very important. And it's something that I've managed to stick to so far, which is really good. Um, Yeah, so... um, But it's on me to do it, because I can't stop the sun from going down. 
<laughs> so I've got to, I've got to uh, proactively go after it and um, seek reconciliation in these uh, circumstances. Um, as part of reconciliation, forgiveness is absolutely key. Um, I looked at times with Jesus uh, when he was alive and he could forgive in the midst of any situation. Um, even when he was on the cross and we heard what Luke was saying about the, the intense pain and stuff that um, Jesus was going through. And even in the midst of that hurt and that conflict between him and the people that he came to, to love and to serve, he was still able to say, Father, forgive them. Um, even before he said it is finished, before, like, even in the midst of it, he was still able to say, forgive them. Um, whereas for some of us, it can take months and months and months and months till after the event to be like, okay, now I'm ready. Whereas Jesus had the power to be able to be like, even in the middle of it, to be like, I'm choosing to forgive. And we can look at it and say, well, yeah, well, that's Jesus. But it's like, Jesus says that we can do it, so... We can do it. I'm not saying it's easy, but we can do it. Um, just need to not let pride get in the way um, and be ready to put others first ahead of ourselves. Um, one of our problems as people is that we are bent on our human reactions. Um, we often try and choose revenge over reconciliation. Um, going back to, uh, to Romeo and Juliet, John White will like this because it's lots of Shakespeare reference. Um, so going back to Romeo and Juliet, when uh, there's a bit where Lady Capulet says, um, Romeo killed Tybalt, therefore Romeo must not live. And that could be our mentality when something happens. It's like, this happened to me, therefore this needs to happen to someone else to make it even. Um, and we can seek revenge. Um, but the difference between revenge and reconciliation um, is that revenge is about trying to even the score. But reconciliation is about wiping that slate clean. Um, and that's, what, that's where we need to try and go. Um, so the, the human reaction is revenge, but the heavenly and godly reaction that we need to try and adapt is this one of seeking reconciliation first. Um, Yeah, so um, I guess the questions that I was going to end on are, um, do you engage with reconciliation daily? Is it like a daily thing that when something happens, even just like these small events, not these big things, but just these little things that cause a rift in these friendly relations with the people around you, um, do you seek reconciliation daily? Um, and then also, do you readily choose uh, reconciliation over revenge, or is your natural natural inclination to um, be one of trying to seek revenge and trying to even the score and be like, well, they did this, so I need to do this? Or is it one of just taking the time, composing and forgiving and wiping the slate clean? So that's those my two questions. Um. Thanks, Mike. Okay, again, you know the score by now. We're going to take 30 seconds to a minute. Have a think, write anything down. And I'll come and get you in a minute.